Well, Travis, welcome back to another episode. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. Yeah. Um, and, and the subject that we're going to talk about today um, is one that we've talked about before, mm-hmm. probably several times on the podcast, and it's racism. But this one's just a little bit different yeah. in that we uh, we have a guest with mm-hmm. us um, that we pre-recorded that conversation with our friend Andrew, uh, who is a popular YouTuber, and he has a very popular channel about the post-apostolic church. Right. I not said, not said, post-apocalyptic. That's right. Yeah. Although it, that seems appropriate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, well, actually, I guess it would be... No, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so in the, in the conversation, I mispronounced uh, the name of his YouTube channel. But, um, but we're going to talk about racism mm-hmm. as it has been perceived by Christians... Uh, from the very beginning, from from the time of Jesus on, obviously we have the writings of the apostles. But we also have um, writings of the post-apostolic church after, meaning after the apostles, and their writings and how they dealt with um, social social equality mm-hmm. uh, in within the church. And it's an incredibly important conversation. And one of the things that I'm particularly passionate about, and, and this is part of the conversation that we're going to have, is that the gospel does not promote the disillusion of ethnic identity. It promotes the unity of different ethnic groups. And I think that's really important. I think that we've 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 accepted this premise that the gospel uh, promotes the disillusion of ethnic groups. And that's not exactly true. It promotes the unity of ethnic groups so that there is no preferential treatment based on ethnic groups. But I think one of the beautiful things, and this may or may not have been part of the conversation, I forget now, but one of the beautiful things about the gospel is our diverse unity. And if we pretend like those distinctions don't matter— then we miss out on the miracle of the unity that Jesus brings to humanity through right. through the church. So uh, I, I really think that that's an important thing to say at the outset, and it's something we cover in the conversation. Yeah, I think this is a—I mean, it's obviously an interesting discussion because it continues to be uh, relevant to what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I, I always— I always wonder as we approach approach it as Christians, you know, how are we go, how are we going to root it in the gospel as opposed to the narrative that we get from the world? Yeah. Because this is a morality issue that continues to be uh, talked about by everybody. Yeah, you know, there's plenty of morality issues we discuss in the church that we're the only ones talking about it. Yeah, that's true. And this that's is not true. one of those. And so yeah. I think that's where it gets very difficult to, you know, like you know, like we've said, rooted in the gospel and yeah. rooted in. What what does Jesus have to say about it? Right. Yeah, and that's thought, a great way to put it. Let Jesus drive this conversation mm-hmm. and not and not the news media or yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, without any further ado, we'll we'll get into that conversation and I hope you all enjoy it. Okay, well, welcome back to another episode of the Bible Study Podcast. I'm here with Travis's is uh, on the computer, but I also have my my good friend Andrew, uh, who is joining us today. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for having me. Andrew has a very popular uh, YouTube channel uh, called Post Apocalyptic Church. No, that's not right. That's not no. Post Apostolic Church. I was looking right at it and I said apocalyptic. I meant apostolic. Post Apostolic Church. Um, I would. I mean, even before we get into today's subject, I would love for you to just give us a brief uh, overview of what kind of 
videos uh, you you put on your channel there, brother. Okay. Yes, the uh, the channel I started a number of years ago. Um, my my life journey kind of led me to ask a lot of questions uh, about what is truth, and a lot of it came from the differences between um, churches and forms of Christianity. And over time, I was introduced to the pre-Nicene Christians, and these are the Christians that lived after the apostles, hence the, the name post-apostolic, and who lived before the Council of Nicaea, which was the first of the ecumenical councils. And when I dove into their writings, and there is a lot of them, I was blown away, and I was moved, and I felt like this was a calling for me to, to take this to take the faith and the history of the early Christians and, and share that. So to me, I feel like church history is something that has been um, not as popular as it, as it should be, because I, for me, church history has answered so many of my questions about doctrine and faith and practice. And so for me, the, the channel is a passion project. I really love taking the faith and history of the time after the apostles and and sharing what the church looked like, what the you know what the apostles left uh, for us. Yeah, absolutely, and I appreciate the work that you do, and and I appreciate your perspective on things, and and I uh, especially we we you and I have have lunch every few weeks, and and we talked about some different things that we might be able to talk about on the podcast, and um, and especially talking about different issues, but tying it into the perspective of the early church of that that period of time between Nicaea and uh, and the apostles, and, and and looking at their perspectives and looking at some of the things that they wrote. Uh, there's all different kind of issues that we could we could tackle, but one of the things that came up in our conversation was the issue of racism. And we actually put this on the calendar a little while back, but over the last few weeks, it just seems like uh, there have been just incident after incident after incident um, that have happened here recently to bring the issue of, of racism uh, to the, the forefront. And so it's an incredibly relevant subject. But I think what's interesting is it, it's always been a relevant subject. Um, and so I'm excited to, to talk with you about uh, not only your perspective as a follower of Jesus on on the issue of racism, but also your perspective as somebody who uh, cares deeply and knows a lot about the the early Christian perspective on the issue. Yeah, you're right. Um, we, we did schedule this a while back, and yeah, the May has there's been some significant racial tensions brought up events. I'll say um, in 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 this month, and the timing is very uh, very appropriate. Yeah. I think sometimes we, you know, obviously in America, when we, in the United States, I should say, in the United States, when we think of racism, we tend to think, um, you know, quote unquote, white and black, you know, we, we tend to think about our issues with race in this country. Um, and obviously there's, there's a lot of historical reasons why we have the tensions that we have and you know everything from slavery to Jim Crow laws to what we experience today, and and again, I mean, I just can't help but but say there there continues to be, um, from my perspective, injustice that happens, and there continues to be uh, bias and and racism and and tension that exists here. But I think it's it's true that that there has been in every culture, and not just historically, but currently, in every part of the world, there are 
cultural, ethnic, racial tensions and divides, barriers that exist. And, and I guess from, from what I know, um, have always existed in nearly every country and every, nearly every culture, there has been, um, there has been these, this tendency uh, to look down upon or to oppress or to enslave or to make war against people that look different or talk different or, or come from a different background. Right. You're very true, um, what you said there. Because, yeah, history shows that racism is a constant thing. And I would say we're blessed to actually live where we are right now because in the United States, racism has been outlawed. And thankfully, the law is on is on the good side, so to speak. But, you know, in history, there's been so many laws that are made out of racism. And, uh, and you know, there's nothing, you know, today it's better than it used to be. Yeah. Now, you know, one thing about racism, you say we, today we usually think of it as um, in, in, the, in regard to white and black. But, you know, there's so many forms of races, racism. You know, when the early Christians talked about it, they didn't focus focus purely on race, but they focus on a lot of aspects. And you'll see that in some of these quotes, that a lot of it was social status. And in their day, that was the big difference between people and a lot of the discrimination was on social status. And uh, and so there's more aspects to this. I mean, for example, there's there was discrimination on age, discrimination on gender, discrimination on, in other ways. And the early Christians spoke against all of that. And, you know, when it comes to racism, which is kind of what we're dealing with in today's society, it's the, the main core problem I feel is prejudice because prejudice could come out toward race. It could come out toward social status. It could come out toward gender and in all kinds of forms. So really, it seems to me that the root, the root problem is prejudice. Mm. And, and, um, but, um, so as we go through these quotations here again, it's, it's something that it doesn't matter, you know, really what it's regarding. If we have prejudice towards someone else, that's what's wrong. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. So why do you, why do you think that, that it is such a, a natural human tendency to, to struggle with this? Where do you think this, this comes from? What did the, and I'm interested to hear your perspective, especially as it pertains to the early Christians and, and what they might have said or written on this subject, uh, as far as it, as far as why do we struggle with this? Why do we have this tendency to, uh, to be prejudiced, to, uh, prefer people of our own, um, tribe, so to speak, and, and to, uh, be biased against people from, from other groups? I believe it's a, it comes from maybe three possible things and, you know, it, it's, it comes from maybe a desire to control. Hmm. Um, it maybe comes from just pure hate, um, for whatever reason, or it may come from fear, yeah. but, um, the first quotation I'd like to share, I think, is, is one quotation that's very interesting because it's one of the only quotations that tries to get into the, the cause. As you say, I mean, it's human nature to, um, within, within human nature to, you know, our flesh, our carnal nature to want to control, to hate or something like that, which is not right. We were not designed to be that way. So in the year 195, there was a, a Christian whose name is Clement of Alexandria. And he lived in Alexandria, Egypt, and here's what he said. Um, the context of his quote here is interesting because he's actually 
talking about abortion and speaking against abortion. But here is an interesting quote he kind of puts with that regarding um, racism. He says, the Mosaic law at the same time teaches not to do wrong to anyone belonging of another race and bringing him under the yoke. For there is no other reason to yoke someone else than to point out a difference of race, which is no reason at all. A difference of race is neither wickedness nor is the effect of wickedness. Hmm. So in that quotation, I, I get a few things from that. And the first one is that the goal of racism seems to be to yoke or subjugate another human being against their will. To, you know, And we, we see that we... To, for us, racism is very tied to slavery, and that's that what that's what was done um, over the past couple centuries. Is people tied racism to slavery and made them kind of the same thing, and they used race as a way to get slaves, which was to terribly wrong. And Clement here talks about that. That that's kind of the one of the goals of racism. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's interesting that you know from a biblical perspective that that race and slavery are so closely tied together as well. You know, the, the entire Bible is about the people of Israel. It's about Abraham's descendants who were enslaved in Egypt for the crime of being not, not Egyptian. So, you know, the Egyptians enslaved them um, and made them slaves. And then that, that, that became part of their identity that and part of the law as God brought them out of out of Egyptian slavery and freed them and redeemed them and brought them into the promised land and then gave them the law about how to treat foreigners he he would tell them to remember remember that you were enslaved remember that you were slaves in Egypt and remember that I brought you out and that should shape how you treat others but unfortunately they ended up doing the exact same thing to other people groups and enslaved and oppressed others right absolutely today we call that xenophobia it's the it's the idea of hating somebody who's of a different country or nation than you. And they did that. And you're totally right. Throughout the Old Testament, God said, do not oppress the foreigner. Do not oppress the sojourner or the stranger because you were sojourners yourselves. And that's absolutely right. I mean, from the beginning, God taught the Israelites, you've been in a foreign country. How did you want to be treated there? Well, you should treat foreigners in the same way. You should want to be treat them with even more grace because they're out of their element. So you should, you should, um, you know, treat them well and, and don't yoke them. Yeah. It's so, it's so sad. And, and I think it goes back to, to your, and I really, I'm glad you pointed out both the, the hatred and the fear. And I think back to, to the Israelites being in slavery and, and there may have been some of both, you know, that were present in why they were oppressed, why they were enslaved, and then eventually why uh, Pharaoh committed genocide against the, the Israelites and, and tried to wipe out the, the male children is because of fear. And, and I think so often when we think about racism or, or whatever, you know, we, we are prejudiced or biased, we, we tend to think about hatred, and, and that's certainly there and present, but there's also fear. And Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites. He was afraid of the Hebrews that that they were going to grow to be too big and too powerful. They were they were going to take over and that they could fight against them. And so we we have this natural tendency in every culture, human beings, and I'm glad you you pointed out the word flesh that it is our carnal nature 
to be afraid of people who are different. And, mm-hmm. and there is this carnality in that type of fear that says, if these different people come, I don't know what they're going to do. Or if these different people become more numerous, and we see that over and over and over and over again throughout human history and throughout scripture. I mean, you even, I mean, the, you know, the, the um, event that gets brought up probably more than any is the Holocaust. And, you know, and Hitler obviously used hatred and fanned the flames of hatred against Jewish people and against others, but also fear. And that that fear was there and present. And, and we have to recognize the carnality of that fear and how that fear often leads to oppressing and enslaving and creating laws and systems that are against and oppress different kinds of people. Right. Even today, I, I think, what, do, what, what are something that Christians may tend to fear? And I would say that there's a lot of Christians that fear our Muslim neighbors. Yeah. Because I've heard, I've heard lessons from, from well-meaning Christians that will talk about the Muslim communities and say, well, look, the average number of children a Muslim has is eight. So, you know, they're growing at a rate and we need to grow too and we need to stop this. And you know, as I look back on, on that, I just think that's fear. That's that's saying, look, this is scary because they're growing in number. We should not be afraid of that. That There's nothing wicked or non-wicked about, you know, having a lot of kids. And when we, when we deal with our Muslim neighbors, it's so important that we deal with people individually and we seek to be their friends. We seek to do good to them rather than to assume because someone is of a certain country or of a certain religion that we already know who they are. I apologize for the interruption, but if you're enjoying this Bible study, you might also enjoy the audio version of my book, Beyond the Verse. If you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can get the book for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. Just visit radicallychristian.com audible. Now, back to the Bible study. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I had um, a brother on not too long ago on the podcast um, who grew up in Iraq, and he he grew up as a Muslim, and now he is a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian, and he is doing a tremendous job in helping Christians to understand and love their their neighbors, both to teach them the gospel, but also just to love them mm-hmm. and to treat them like human beings. And and often I think that that people excuse their their bias, they excuse their prejudice, they excuse excuse their racism by by saying, "Well, I don't hate them. I don't hate those people, but they're afraid of them." And that fear often can become more dangerous than than hatred. Hatred, at least, you know, is is honest about wanting to hurt someone, but fear often manifests itself in hurting someone out of a desire to protect oneself. And we've seen so many, so many instances, and I won't get into all of them, but we've seen so many instances where innocent people were hurt because the other person was afraid of them unjustly. And because they, they unjustly feared this person, they assumed they were guilty without any evidence or any reason, simply because of the color of their skin. Um, but, but again, I don't want to lose track of, you know, the ancient tie to all of this, that this is nothing new. This carnal way of seeing our neighbor, this fleshly way of seeing our neighbor that we have to, 
go to war against within ourselves. We have to go ag- to war against our own carnality and put to death that fleshly way of seeing our neighbor and treating our neighbor. Right. Absolutely. One of the things in that quotation from Clement, he mentions people use difference of race as a, a reason to do evil. One of the things that early Christians noticed is that they they recognize differences. They're, you know, again, they focused on social status, um, and they noticed the differences between age, between gender, between social status, between race. They they noticed the differences, but they never judged anybody on those differences. Mm. Instead, they used a different kind of judgment, which we'll get to. And uh, I want to fin- uh, read something else from Clement of Alexandria here. It's, he says, the church is full of those who all their life have contemplated their approaching death in Christ. For those whose life is fashioned as ours is, they may do that without having to learn philosophy. Whether they are barbarian or Greek or slave or old man or boy or woman. For self-control is common to all human beings who have chosen it. And we admit that the same nature and the same virtue exists in every race. Regarding human nature, the woman does not possess one nature and the man exhibit another, but they possess the same nature. This is also true with their virtues. Yeah. So as we're going more into these quotes, you know, one of one of the big pictures I see here is again for the early Christians, the big picture wasn't racism specifically, but for them it was just again, prejudice in general. They didn't want to judge people with their carnal eyes. Instead, they looked at people with spiritual eyes. When the early Christians wrote about you know, racism and things like that, they, they also talked about rich versus poor, barbarian versus uh, Greek. And again, it's not a versus, it's, it's, it's really differences. I should rephrase that. But they young or old, slave or free. Yeah. And anyone who considers that those things are important in this life, they are using their carnal eyes and their carnal minds, and they don't think about the way Jesus sees people. So the things that are, mean of, uh, that are meaningful differences with people uh, who walk with God are looking at people and seeing the fruit they bear and the witness that they're giving in the, their belief in God and how dedicated someone is in obeying God's instructions. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you, you pointed out that, that they didn't— they didn't pretend that those differences didn't exist. And I think that there's this this uh, way of thinking right now that simply says, let's just pretend that there are no differences, that we're all that we're all the same in every single way, and and let's just sort of ignore the differences. We we sometimes we use the term colorblind and let's just let's be colorblind, let's not pay attention to or even acknowledge that there are any differences. And it's really interesting that that the the early Christians post-apostolic Christians also felt the same way that that it seems like to me Paul felt, and he, I think Paul is expressing the exact same idea that you pointed out there, is that is that those differences do exist, but they don't divide. And I think exactly. that's, that's the important thing to recognize is that, that we are united in spite of our very real differences. They exist, but it just makes the unity that much sweeter, that much better, that, that Jesus can bring together Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, and that he can bring them together. I was thinking about, you know, in Galatians chapter 3 or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, starting in verse uh, 
12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul highlights the difference in order to acknowledge the unity that has been brought about in spite of that difference. And, and I think where we, where we go wrong as humans with the carnal way of thinking is that we highlight those differences in order to divide. But Paul highlights the differences in order to emphasize the unity that can exist there. Right. We see when Paul visited many places, I remember in Greece, whether it's Greece, Asia Minor, or elsewhere, Paul would go every place and meet people where they were at. Yeah. You know, in, in Acts, when he would, he was on, um, I forget where it is in Acts, but in a couple of his, his speeches, his um, speeches, he quoted from their prophets. Yeah. And he came to their level, you know, just like Jesus coming down from heaven and meeting us at our level, he lowered himself. And that's what Paul did to all these non-believers. He came down to their level to preach the gospel. He didn't say, okay, I want you to join me in my, in my walk with God. He said, no, I want, I'm going to come down to your level and teach you how to walk with God. And I, I think that's, I think that's exact, and I'm glad you pointed that out, that that's living out the gospel. And, and, and we have to love people where they are. And I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. I mean that in a way that says, everybody has a different culture. Everybody has a different background. Everybody has a different worldview and perspective. And in order to love my neighbor well, I have to acknowledge and get to know his background and his perspective. And if I pretend like we're all the same and we don't have a various different, you know, diverse ideas and perspectives, I cannot love him well. And I don't love my brother who is African-American or Hispanic or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I don't love them well if I, if I don't pay attention to the fact that they have a unique and special perspective that's different than mine in some ways. Paul was, was so, so apt to, to notice and, and to acknowledge and to appreciate the various perspectives that people had and to, to start where they were, like you said, and, and not to sort of gloss over those things as if they didn't exist. Right. And I'm glad you brought up that about what Paul said about whoever you are, whether slave or free and such. The passage that I came to mind at this, at this juncture was uh, in, from John chapter 7, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're really grilling them and judging Jesus based on you know, their own standards. Jesus said, stop judging according to appearances. Instead, judge according to righteous judgment. And I see that exactly played out in these early Christian quotations that they didn't look at these differences as, as, and I love the word you said as dividers, because we as Christians need to be uniters, especially on these issues that are carnal or fleshly, or just the situation of life we're in. The early Christians looked at people's fruit. I mean, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, not by, you know, we'll know them by what they do, not by who they already are. And, and so when we look at people, we, we gauge them on their closeness to God, not on earthly things, you know, whether you're born into um, a certain race, a certain social status, a certain gender, whatever, you know, that 
makes no difference. Jesus said, judge according to righteous judgment. And righteous judgment means that our standard is to use heavenly eyes, heavenly minds, and heavenly ears to judge people according to what really matters and not something um, carnal. Yeah. And I, and I think Paul, you know, echoes that same sentiment in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And and to your point, Paul's, <laughs> Paul's so much of his ministry, his ministry was all about reconciling not just people to God, but people to each other. And mm. Christian ministry, Christian evangelism, has at its very heart the reunification of the nations, the reunifications, uh, the reunification of mankind, of human beings. And so we have to be in the business of unity, of unifying and not dividing. And I love that perspective of in order to accomplish that, we have to put on these spiritual eyes. We have to look at each other with spiritual eyes rather than carnal eyes. Yeah. So the next series of quotations I have come from a man named Lactantius. Lactantius wrote um, extensively around the year 310. So this is, what, about 250 years after the apostles, and it's, it's less than a generation away from the Council of Nicaea. So this is so it's around that time period. And Lactantius was an official in the Roman government. And in fact, he was a mentor of young Constantine before Constantine became emperor. At one, uh, at one point, Lactantius became a Christian. And right before the last major persecution of Christians uh, by the Romans, um, which was during the time of Diocletian, Lactantius resigned from government. Because he knew that if he stayed, uh, it was it was wrong to be in government and uh, not sacrifice to the gods. So he knew that I got to get out of government because otherwise I'll be killed. So he moved to France, and at that time it was called Gaul, and he wrote extensively about Christianity. So this quote here, he's going to talk about equity or fairness, and his main point is about what is justice. What is the definition of justice? So when Lactantius gets on to the point about equity or equality, the first thing he goes to is the equality of mankind. So here's what he says. Therefore, the other part of justice is equity. It is plain that I'm not speaking of the equity of judging well, though this is also a praiseworthy quality in a good man. But I'm talking about making oneself equal to others. Cicero calls this equability. For God, who produces and gives breath to men, willed that all should be equal, that is, equally matched. He has imposed on all the same condition of living. He has made everyone to seek wisdom. He has promised immortality to all. No one is cut off from his heavenly benefits. For as he distributes to all alike his one light, he sends forth his fountains to all. He supplies food, and he gives the most pleasant rest of sleep. So he bestows on all equity and virtue. In his sight, no one is a slave, no one is a master. For everyone has the same father. By an equal right, we are all children. No one is poor in the sight of God, except he who is, who is without justice. No one is rich, except he who is full of virtues. No one is excellent, except he who has been good and innocent. No one is most famous except he who has abundantly performed works of mercy. 
No one is most perfect except he who has filled all the steps of virtue. Therefore, neither the Romans nor the Greeks could possess justice, because they had men differing from one another by many degrees, from the poor to the rich, from the humble to the powerful, from private persons to the highest authorities of kings. For where all people are not equally matched, there is not equity, and inequality of itself excludes justice the whole force of which consists in this, that it makes those equal who have arrived at the condition of this life by equal portion. Hmm. So he says, humans are humans. And what really matters there is, is, you know, he's, he mentions about doing works of mercy and, and things like that. It's, it's those using those spiritual eyes and minds. And, un, and he points out, unfortunately, the world, loves to point out that you know the authority of 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 government or the or the 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 prosperity of rich people or things like that and he says you know god doesn't care about those things what god cares about is your you know your your commitment to him your 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 pursuit of wisdom uh and the early christians used the word virtue a lot they said virtue and that was a word the greeks used you know the whole what's morally good in this life and uh and so that is what really That's the standard God uses. I hope you enjoyed part one of this conversation on racism and the early church. Join us next week for part two of this conversation. I want to give a big thanks to the Church of Christ on McDermott Road, as well as to Travis Pauly, our editor, for making this podcast possible. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.